Welcome to episode 76 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Jackson Foster, plant-based advocate, yoga teacher, creator of Plantriotic, environmental activist, artist, and student at Colorado College. I had the pleasure of connecting with Jackson through a mutual friend who knew we were both college-age plant-based yogis who were passionate about spreading our work with others. My mission with Running on Ohm is simple. By sharing stories, we can spark one another's imaginations and deliver encouragement, insight, and strength in our paths to personal growth and transformation. Jackson's story will inspire you to consider what it means to live plant-based and be plantriotic. Before we get in the interview with Jackson, I'm going to ask you, member of the Running on Ohm community, just by listening to this podcast, even if it's your first time tuning in, to consider leaving a review of the podcast on iTunes. The more reviews the podcast gets on iTunes, the easier it will be for like-minded people to find it on the iTunes interface. It will take you less than two minutes and make a world of difference. I know there have been thousands of listens to the podcast, but only 12 people have left reviews on iTunes. The 30th person to leave a review gets a sweet prize from Running on Ohm, so please leave a review and get to be considered for the surprise prize. Let's jump into the show with Jackson. Jackson explains how at age 14 he decided to become a vegetarian. Jackson recounts his time biking across the country, where he witnessed firsthand the health and diet epidemic in the U.S. His travels to Borneo, Indonesia, where he volunteered at an orangutan orphanage and saw how a plant-based diet created a healthy and strong population. His transition to veganism and cooking a balanced plant-based meal. What it is like to be a vegan college student in his founding of CC Plant Strong, a plant-based club at Colorado College where he attends. How the mental focus of yoga and meditation balances his activist work. The transformation Jackson has undergone in building muscle on a vegan diet. Why he is experimenting with fruitarianism and what he eats on a day-to-day basis. Who are Jackson's mentors and inspirations? Upcoming projects for CC Plant Strong and his Plantriotic blog and YouTube channel. All this and more on this episode of the Running on Ohm podcast. Oh. Welcome, Jackson, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Thank you, Julia. I am so happy to be in your presence. It is wonderful. So Jackson and I share a good best friend named Lane, who's not a vegan, but she connected both of us because we share a lot in common. Both Jackson and myself are people who are really passionate about plant-based nutrition and lifestyle. And if I do say so myself, Jackson's really lighting the world on fire right now with his movement, his energy. And so I'm really want curious to know, when did veganism, that word, come into your life? Mm, yes. Um... Well, the word vegetarianism came into my life much before veganism, as it does for most people. Um, I, I remember since I can ever think, um, maybe three or four years old, that eating food, which was mainly animal products, what I was fed when I was younger, growing up in L.A., I had an emotional connection to what was on my plate, and I understood what was on my plate from a very young age for some reason. Um, My mom was sort of pseudo-vegetarian, would probably cheat at times at a fancy dinner and have fish. 
Um, but she, you know, was not a steak eater and would never um, order much meat. And I guess that's what that's where I learned what this term was, that there was a lifestyle where you actually did not have to eat animals. And I grew up um, truly feeling emotionally torn from what ended up on my plate and what I was putting in my mouth. Um, there were countless nights where I would sit in my bed after dinner and cry to myself at, at, at what I was being a part of, but I had no idea that, that there was an outlet and an alternative way to eat. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 14 years old that I realized that vegetarianism is not some cult that you need a membership card or anything like that. It's really something for anyone and they can adopt it at any time. And I guess I just gained the maturity when I was around that age in middle school to say I am a vegetarian and I'm going to act on these impulses and I stopped um, eating animals and I became what I now call a junk food vegetarian all throughout high school, which is a great step, but it's gone way farther beyond that now. Now, when did you decide to make the transition to veganism? And were you first a uh, junk food vegan? Yes. So what I consider a junk food vegan is, you know, you continue, um, well, a junk food vegetarian, I was still eating tons of cheese and milk and fried food, just a standard diet except without meat. Um, And I did that all throughout high school. And, you know, I got sick once or twice a year, every year, as most people do. Um, But I felt all right. And it wasn't until I decided to take a year off in between high school and college and got myself into some amazing experiences that changed not only my diet, but my spirituality and my life in general. Um, it was really after riding my bicycle across America from coast to coast, um, which is what I did right after graduating school. I got into college and I deferred for a year because I knew that I needed to get some form of education that was outside of the conventional academic system because I knew there was something more out there. And so I had me and my brother and my best friend, we packed up our bikes, we took a train from the West Coast to Virginia Beach, Virginia, and we dunked our tires in the Atlantic Ocean and we started to bike home to LA. And, you know, growing up in LA, if I wanted to eat a healthy vegan organic salad just for the heck of it, I could. Um, There's farmer's markets every day. Um, There's, you know, fresh produce at the grocery stores, you know, five of them within a mile of your house. And what I discovered on this bicycle trip, um, being very sheltered sort of in the L.A. scene, was that not everyone around the country eats this way. And they don't have the option to eat healthy if they even wanted to. Um, We found ourselves eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner at gas stations or diners literally for months at a time. Um, And we felt it. You know, we were eating pancakes and fried food and french fries and milkshakes all day because that was the food that was around us. And I was so troubled by it because most of the people that I met throughout the Bible Belt of the country, you know, were relatively sick, fat, and unhappy. And I don't say that, you know, as a stereotype. That's what I experienced from, you know, riding my bicycle for 81 days across the country. And it really hit me hard that um, it was sad. I thought that people were growing food in the middle of the country. I thought they were all farmers. So I began to talk to these farmers that I talked to because biking across the country, all you bike by is farms. And the same story came back over and over 
again and again from these farmers that they grew up on a farm growing a diverse amount of vegetables and maybe some animals as well. And as the years went by, up until now, all of these diverse farms that were growing peppers and tomatoes um, are now almost 85% of all farms in America are growing corn and soy not to be fed to humans but to be fed to animals um, for us to eat those animals and get sick from it. So this whole notion I had of oh I'm gonna bike across America and see where my food is grown and I'm gonna eat all the freshest stuff from the farms turned out to be a complete fallacy and I was really you know angry at that. Um, and it wasn't until I finished that bicycling trip and actually shipped off to Borneo, Indonesia, um, where I found this orangutan orphanage in the middle of the jungle. Uh, Borneo is a huge island off the coast of Australia and Indonesia. And I found myself in, you know, living in a tiny, tiny off the grid village where I was fed rice and fruit mainly every day for every meal. And I was working with 80-year-old men who have no idea what Western medicine is, don't own a cell phone, don't have a TV, that were climbing up trees faster than me and didn't have heart disease and cancer in the entire community. And I was like, these people don't make money and they're healthier and happier than any of the Americans that I met on this trip. What is going on? Um, and, you know, through eating that diet of mainly rice and fruit, I came home and said, the only difference I can tell from that culture with the culture biking across America was that they're eating really different foods. Definitely. Um, and I began to educate myself in health and nutrition and diet. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's where my plant-based path really began. And when you got home after that trip to Borneo, what would you say was the biggest challenge you encountered in transitioning to a plant-based plant diet at home in L.A.? Right. Um, I grew up never cooking a meal myself, and my family didn't even cook. Um, I think this is actually its one of the funny ironies that now I essentially cook every single meal that I make every day. Um, I grew up, my mom never cooked a home-cooked meal. And I love her. She's the greatest mother in the world. Dad would call when he was coming home from work at around 6 every day and say, what should I pick up tonight? And we ate at uh, restaurants almost every single night. So to eat healthy and plant-based and to have, have it be cheap, I really think you need to cook a lot of your own food and you need to have that connection with ingredients onto your plate rather than just products from a grocery store. And... That was probably the biggest challenge of, all right, I'm coming home to a kitchen that probably hasn't been used in 15 years, and I don't know what to do, um, but I began to learn, and I used YouTube, and I read books, and you know now I can say I'm a crazy good chef. It's awesome. That's really cool. During that beginning time at home, what was your go-to meal to make? Right, so I was eating a lot of um, you know cooked vegan food. The book that really got me started, you know, I, I was lucky enough to read the China study and watch Forks Overnight right as I got interested um, in health and nutrition. And those weren't the only books I read. I actually read a lot of sort of paleo style, high fat, um, low carb diet stuff as well. But none of that stuff made any sense to me. I actually practiced it. I tried it out. And, you know, the difference between how I felt from eating a high fat, low carb diet versus a high carbohydrate 
high plant-based and low-fat diet, it was like night and day. I had so much energy getting in as much plants as I could and as much carbohydrates and having a low-fat, low-protein diet. Um, so a typical meal for breakfast, I would have you know a huge fruit smoothie with bananas and berries um, and you know I would put some greens in there and hemp seeds and chia seeds. Um, I would also make like a buckwheat, like a raw buckwheat granola and put that in a smoothie. Um, then I would snack on fruits and veggies um, until lunch. Lunch would be a huge bed of raw greens and veggies, cucumbers, onions, peppers, tomatoes, um, with a bunch of cooked grains in it. So quinoa, black beans, and then I'd put some pumpkin seeds and some avocado in. Um, and then dinner would usually be like a big cooked rice or sweet potato stew with um, more legumes and, and maybe some millet, um, and I would put in some curry spices and cumin. Um, amazing, amazing good stuff. And this was all coming from the books that I was reading. The China Study by T. Colin Campbell, um, Caldwell Esselstyn's work, John McDougall, The Starch Solution was a huge book for me that just advocated, you know, eating most of your calories from carbohydrates and being pretty low on the fat and protein side. So that was a typical day um, when I started to go vegan. I've been oil-free ever since I've been vegan. So it's been two years now. I haven't eaten any processed oils, so no olive oil, coconut oil, flax oil. And that's all part of the Caldwell Esselstyn um, program, his book, you know, how to cure, uh, prevent and reverse heart disease, how he just talks about isolated fats, even from plants, act in the arteries to a similar way that animal fats do. Um, so I've been implementing sort of a pretty low-fat approach my whole time. And then fast-forwarding to Colorado College, you enter there and you're obviously on a 100% plant-based diet in a college environment. Tell me how, why you were inspired to start Plant Strong and kind of spread this knowledge to other people. Was it something that you were intimidated by sharing with your fellow college freshmen roommates and friends who most likely were not vegan or was this kind of a natural path for you to share what you were learning right so when I entered CC one year ago I had been vegan for a full year and of course when you start to go vegan and you don't know exactly what you're doing and you're still sort of testing out the waters you're not going to be, you know, a radical, organized activist right away because, one, you don't even know if this is going to be your long-term lifestyle, and you don't really know what to teach people because you're still learning it yourself. So by the time I entered my college, CC, I had already branded myself as I've decided that veganism and animal ethics and sustainability and just living a cruelty-free, healthy lifestyle is what I'm going to devote, you know, my energy and time and entire life to. So I came into CC thinking, here's this great sort of small liberal arts community. This is a really great way for me to test how to, you know, be the best activist and educator I can be for, for, for veganism and a plant-based diet. Um, so right away, you know, I made sure that I could get off the meal plan. I live in a house on campus where I have a kitchen that mainly I use and I get to prepare all my meals and I have potlucks at my house and I invite friends to come and see what I'm eating. And, you know, I, I truly don't walk out of my house without some sort of vegan apparel on. And, you know, that's not because I just want to be the vegan guy. It's because you have no idea that when you walk out 
with a vegan shirt, someone is going to ask you, are you vegan? What is vegan? How can you be vegan? You look healthy. Um, you know, people want to talk. And like my passion in life is to as peacefully as possible convey the information, the potent information I know of how dramatic a plant-based diet affects not only your body, but your community and the entire planet. Um, people don't know these things, um, which is really scary to me. I had to work so hard to learn all this incredibly simple but incredibly profound information. Um, so I started this club, CC Plant Strong, on campus last year, and I got in contact with some really you know, awesome vegan educators, athletes, nutritionists, um, just sort of peace activists that were vegan, and I got them to come speak, and I host lectures myself, and as I said, potlucks and documentary screenings, and, you know, I'm the guy around campus. People can know if they're interested in tuning up their diet and living more cruelty-free. They come and talk to me and ask for tips, and I love being that service. It's amazing. So does it ever get annoying to you to have this stereotype of veganism on you? I mean, it sounds like you've really found a way to own it and a way to empower yourself and empower other people. But does it ever get kind of too much for you? Um, I think it does get too much, which is why I practice yoga and meditate. So I can tell you I never right now that I have a very formal um, and consistent yoga and meditation practice, I cannot have too many vegan conversations. I would literally be happy waking up, starting a conversation with someone until I went to bed at 11 about veganism because that's how much I believe in it and care, truly. So I do not get sick of it, but obviously it takes a lot of energy out of my day to make YouTubes every day about veganism, to talk to probably five random people every day about veganism, to watch the YouTube videos of the people that have influenced me, to educate myself and continue reading about veganism. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot. Um, yeah, and to be a college student and be doing your homework. And Exactly. Um, and I also teach yoga at school, and I also teach a ceramics class at school. And I run CC Plant Strong, and I just have to get good grades. It's a lot. Um, but the reason I'm able to do so many things, definitely more than the average student, um, is truly because I meditate and practice yoga. Um, I remember my life before implementing those sort of mental focus strategies. That's really all, I mean, all it is. Yoga has brought in so much spirituality um, into my life. But for someone that's just interested in being able to work harder, implementing a yoga and meditation practice, I mean, it's like taking, it's, it's literally like taking a drug that's going to help you achieve your goals, except it's actually healthy for you. It's like a miracle. It's amazing. So the way I've been able to put in so much into my schedule um, is because I have a formal practice in my life that literally calms down my mind and removes the things that aren't serving me so that I have more room for the things that I'm passionate about. And when did you first hop on your yoga mat? When did that happen? So it happened right when I got back from my bicycling trip. So this all happened at the same time. Um, my mom, when I came home from the trip and saw that I couldn't touch my toes because I had just ridden my bicycle 4,000 miles um, without stretching that much, because when you get off your bike after you know a 100-mile day with 60 pounds on your bike, it's hard to say, oh, I'm going to stretch for a half an hour. You just want to eat a bunch of food and go to bed. Um, so 
when I came home from that trip, I was like, yeah, I'm really inflexible. And my mom um, has been practicing yoga longer than me. Um, and so she said, you should come to a yoga class. And obviously, I had that initial thought being a 19-year-old boy of, you will never get me into a yoga class. Absolutely not. And obviously, I went and... You know, I got into yoga for the asana practice. I came into yoga and saw a bunch of really fit men doing handstands with big muscles, and I was like, yoga's cool. That's awesome. Um, so I began to practice, and now, you know, I say I practice asana probably the least out of my yoga practice. Um, mm. Yoga <laughs> yoga means union. Yoga is connection. Yoga is ahimsa. It is non-harming. Um, it is having more control over your mind. Um, the asana practice, meaning warrior one, getting on your mat, is amazing, and I practice it every single day. But it's a, it's so cool that you can get into yoga for one reason, and just two years later, you're still practicing yoga for a completely different reason that you even thought was taboo before, and it becomes actually the cornerstone of your life. Definitely. Uh, un unbelievable. And that two years from now, your practice will have evolved to something totally different. Who knows? I, I can't wait. And it, and it only gets better. I do not think it, it regresses. It's, it's only upward movement, and that can manifest itself in a bunch of different ways. It doesn't have to be the physical practice. Definitely. Now, this past summer, you went to the Woodstock Fruit Festival, which was a big mm. turning point for you in your relationship with your plant-based diet. Now you're following more of a fruitarian diet. Explain to someone what that means and what was kind of the turning point for you at that festival. Sure. So I'm going to take a little bit of a step back and sort of talk about how my vegan diet has changed within the last, like, six months and then within the last few weeks. Awesome. Um, so... As sort of the vegan activist that I was last year, doing lots of cycling and lots of running, doing lots of endurance sports and also practicing yoga, um, I have to admit I was the stereotypical skinny vegan for the first year and a half um, of adopting a plant-based diet simply because I was doing so much cardio, um, probably wasn't eating enough, and I'm six foot two, and I was 140 pounds for about a year and a half. And I thought it was awesome. My yoga practice was great. I had, you know, no fat or muscle on my body that prevented me from getting into pretzely poses. Um, it was, it was, it was great, and I didn't feel bad. But my friends and family were really saying, "Hey, you're really skinny. You're probably too thin." Um, and I was just so stoked on the healthy, cruelty-free lifestyle I was living that I sort of said, oh, they don't understand, you know, you just get really skinny when you go vegan, but you're actually really healthy. Um, and it wasn't until I met this man named Craig Weiss, who has totally changed my life for the better and made me such a better vegan. He is a yoga bodybuilder vegan guy that I met at a yoga workshop who had these incredible muscles, had an incredible yoga practice, and was vegan. And I truly, you know, I had known about Robert Cheek and some of the vegan bodybuilders, but I thought, you know, they must be taking drugs. Um, I can't do that, you know. Little to learn that actually building muscle on a healthy vegan diet is extremely easy. Um, so when I saw this guy, I said, dude, you got to help me out. Um, all my friends, I'm trying to get them on a vegan lifestyle, and all they can say to me is, I don't want to look like you, so why should I take diet advice from you? Um, and 
finally, through his help, um, I changed my fitness a little bit. I lowered my cardio, and I actually learned how to lift weights in a gym because I wanted to show my peers and friends that you can build any physique you want on a cruelty-free, healthy, vegan diet. And if I could do it, the skinniest guy probably you know at my school, then anyone could do it. And I'm proud to say that in the past six months, I, I have gained 30 pounds of mainly muscle. So it has been a huge, huge change in my life. Um, and it's only making me a better vegan activist because now people are you know, asking me all these fitness questions and are taking my diet advice. So it's really cool. Um, so in order to build all this muscle, I was eating tons of rice, tons of tofu, beans, nuts, lots of cooked foods, potatoes, which I do not deem as unhealthy. I think raw foods are the best, but I do not think that eating cooked foods you know, is an unhealthy practice, but I've learned a lot about a raw vegan fruit-based diet and about the health benefits and of eating just the most high-quality, literally rocket fuel for the human body. Humans evolved from the tropical forests, and we're meant to mainly eat fruit, simple digesting carbohydrates. And this summer, I was working in New York for 350.org, the environmental group, and at the end of my time there before coming to school, I went to the Woodstock Fruit Festival, which is the largest gathering of raw vegan fruitarians to learn about the fruitarian diet, to practice it for a full week. Um, and I met such amazing people who have been doing it some for decades. Um, and, I, and I went to too many lectures and got too much information to not try it out. And I can say, I think I've been fruitarian, I guess, raw vegan, eating only mainly fruit for about 18 days now. I do not deem it my lifestyle just yet because if I lose a ton of weight, um, I'm going to implement cooked foods in my diet because more than anything, even more than my health, I am an animal ethics vegan activist. And even if I can show people that I can, you know, be a bodybuilder, gain all this muscle, uh, eating cooked foods, to me, that's going to be more of a profound form of activism than just being fruitarian and going back to the physique that I was. But as of right now, I am completely confident that I can continue building the mass and muscle that I have been on cooked foods and just doing it on even healthier foods. Um, and I feel amazing. I can't tell you how good I feel. I'm lifting just as heavy or heavier weights as before. I'm monitoring my weight and I have not lost weight yet. So there's a chance this is here to stay. Um, but we will see. Now, when someone hears about eating fruits, they would I imagine they would ask, myself included, aren't you hungry all the time? And what are you eating? Like, how much fruit are you eating? So take me through today what you totally. were eating. Um, totally. So when I started to get into bodybuilding, even on cooked foods, I got used to eating six to seven substantial meals a day. Um, for me, right now, whether cooked or raw, in order to put on this muscle, I've been eating 4,000 or more calories a day, um, which it, the average person needs to eat, you know, between two and three a day, usually around two. So um, I'm eating a lot of food and mainly carbohydrates. And so I got used to eating all the time. Um, and I like eating all the time. I really like food. I like making my food. And so with this fruitarian thing, I am no more hungry than I was before um, because I'm eating substantial meals. So eating a fruitarian diet isn't having an apple for breakfast and a plum for lunch 
and a green salad for dinner. Um, and I even saw this at the Woodstock Fruit Festival. They had no small bowls there. Every single bowl available was the size of like an industrial mixing bowl because that's how much food you need to eat when you're eating high-carbohydrate, low-fat, low-calorie foods like fruit. So a typical day for me right now is I, I eat seasonally. So because it's still the summertime, watermelons are in season and other melons, cantaloupe, honeydew. So I eat about a half of a large watermelon for breakfast. So I'll just cut it in half and I'll just spoon it out. And you can find all these images on my Instagram and YouTube channel, Plantriotic. Um, so I'll have, so I'm trying to eat in mono meals where I'm eating mainly one type of food per meal at a time, trying to mix as little as possible. So I'll have like a watermelon for breakfast or a half a watermelon. And then an hour and a half or two hours later in class, I'll, I'll bring a bag of grapes with me and I'll eat down a bag of grapes. Um, and then for lunch, before my workout, I will make a smoothie with about 10 to 15 dates, 10 ripe bananas, maybe some spinach, hemp, a little bit of hemp seeds and chia seeds, and um, some water, and I'll put that in the blender, and I'll drink that down for a pre-workout meal, which is about 1,500 calories. Each banana, ripe banana, is 100 calories. Um, so, you know, I'm eating in large quantities. I fill up my Vitamix for one meal, literally to the top. Um, so I'll have about a 10 banana and 10 date smoothie before my workout for lunch. And then after my workout, I will have that exact same meal again. I will eat another 10 bananas and another 10 to 15 dates and a bunch of spinach and hemp seeds and chia seeds uh, and, and a half an avocado in my smoothie, which makes things taste so good. Um, so I'll get my fats and protein in in that way. Um, and then for dinner, I will have a massive green salad right now with about five ripe tomatoes, two or three mangoes, um, and I may have some, you know, two or three more papayas. Um, and where I'm getting my food right now, because that's an important part, I'm actually spending less money on food than when I was a cooked vegan. Um, I found an organic wholesale vendor um, that, and, and you can find it in, in any major city that you live in, pretty much the source that sells produce to places like Whole Foods and natural grocers and Sprouts and Trader Joe's. So I'm going there. I have a car here at school and I'm buying 100 to 150 bananas at a time. I'm buying 50 mangoes at a time, 50 papayas at a time, uh, 20 pounds of dates at a time. And because I'm going through it, so quick, I can buy in that quantity without it going bad, and they literally take up to 20% off your final price compared to if you were eating at a grocery store. So there's definitely a lot of organizing and planning involved with this, and you know I've known about fruitarianism for a long time, and I just decided to implement it, so I had a lot of the knowledge of like, I need to be diligent about buying my food, um, I need to have space for the boxes of bananas, but it's been working wonderfully, and it's really great. You know, I haven't turned on an oven or boiled a pot of water or used a pan in over two weeks. I literally own a blender, a knife, a cutting board, and a fork. It's so simple. Like, my, my prep time for making meals has gone down so much because I'm eating simple foods one at a time, and, I'm, and I just get to eat candy all day. Fruit is candy. It's just good, you know, sugar, and, and, it's, and it's amazing. I'm enjoying it. 
I'm so happy to hear that it's been working out for you and I'm really excited to see how it will continue to evolve. A big part of your journey is you create videos every day. What for you has been the video that stands out as the one that has been most widely received or the one you had the funnest time making? Wow, that's a, that's a really great question. Great question. I'm not even sure I've thought about it. Um, so I spent a lot of time in New York this summer walking around to work, walking back to my apartment, and I would always take that time to just pull out my iPhone, point it in my face, and just casually walk and have a conversation with myself and then put it on YouTube. Um, just literally organically something. Maybe I saw a really silly ad for Burger King and it got me frustrated, so I'll make a video about advertising. Um, I also like to, you know, film just cooking every day. But um, this summer, a animal activist named Gary Yurofsky, um really influenced me this summer. I watched all of his lectures. He is what people would call a radical animal rights activist. He speaks at colleges. He ha he speaks three hundred days a year. This is his full time job. Um, he charges nothing. I have no idea how he funds, literally travels around the world. I, I, I talk to him online because I'm trying to bring him to, to my school and he wants to come this year. I just have to organize it. Um, he really addresses um, the concept of speciesism, which similar to racism or sexism is one species putting more moral weight to members of their own species and not others simply on the basis that they look similar and are of the same species, which has nothing to do with the concept and, you know, that all most all land animals, whether that be chickens, pigs, cows, turkeys, can feel physical pain and suffer in equal or elevated ways to humans. So he really discusses that, you know, he, he, he addresses how profound and how confusing we have gotten to this place where human beings around the world are keeping in captivity and killing 60, 60 billion land animals a year. The, these numbers are literally too large to even comprehend, but we are responsible for all of it. And so I've made some videos about um, animal ethics um, and trying in the best way, as peacefully as possible, to just get people to understand the scale of the amount of unnecessary pain and suffering we're not only causing to ourselves for eating deadly foods like animal products, but literally the murderous activities that we are putting on living beings that breathe air, eat food, drink water, have emotional connections to their offspring, and can feel physical pain in equal ways to you. It's really interesting that in America, if you kick a dog in the face and lock it in a closet for a week, you will literally go to jail. But if you run a farm of 50,000 hogs and you murder thousands of them a minute, you're considered a CEO and you're, you're praised. It literally is insane. That is the only word you can describe it. It is an insane um, moral system. And I've made some videos trying to talk about that. And it's really sensitive because food is a really emotional thing. We grew up that when we got sick, we'd be given chicken noodle soup and it feels really warm and it makes us feel good. So when someone tells you 
that not only is that chicken noodle soup good for you, but it's actually an immoral and really, you know, cruel and unfortunate and sad and violent act, you know, that is really hard on a lot of people and it should be. And I always say no one is an evil villain for eating animal products. We are simply all victims of a system that claims that animals are food. Because in my mind, an animal is just as much food as my desk lamp or my computer. It's, it's not something that belongs in my body. It's not good for my body. I, you know, I now associate plants as my food. That is human food. And just as you wouldn't eat a paperclip, you know, we need to change the system so that when we're young kids, we learn that animals are animals and food is food. And yeah, so making videos on that, that's been my whole sort of drive with my vegan activism right now, which is really interesting because it all started out with health, but this is where it's transitioning now. Definitely. It's com it sounds like over the past couple years, you've been going through a lot of transformation. And what I think so cool, what what is so cool to me is that you've been able to be really open and honest about it and document the whole growth and the journey. Who for you stands out as one person that has been really inspiring or a mentor to you throughout this whole process, whether it be someone from the yoga meditation community, maybe someone from the vegan community or not from either community? So, totally, yeah. Um, I have so many people that influence me in all different ways, yoga, spirituality, um, you know, athleticism, diet, but sort of, you know, I'll give you a list. I can't give you one person. That wouldn't be fair, but I can give you a list. Um, first off, um, I need to, you know, dedicate almost all of this transformation that I've been going through to T. Colin Campbell, who's the professor emeritus at Cornell for biochemistry, who wrote the book, The China Study, that pretty much proved in a research study that the protein in milk, casein, is actually the most potent carcinogen probably on the planet. Um, and that that's what really, you know, you know, I just got shell shocked. Um, I got, you know, I, I nutritionally, that is, I totally devote most of my education to him. I got certified in plant-based nutrition through his online course um, through Cornell. It's a really cool program um, that, E. Cornell online um, provides. It takes about three months to go through the whole class, and it, it's amazing. It teaches you everything you need to know about um, the importance of a plant-based diet for health. Um, also, Rich Roll has been a huge inspiration mentor for me um, as an athlete, as a vegan activist who has built a brand, um, as a family man, as a father. You know, a lot of people, especially my family, when I went vegan, thought was going to become my entire life and I wouldn't be able to have a relationship and I couldn't, you know, eat at restaurants. And he's such a great example of being such a success story as a father, as an athlete and doing this all, you know, for veganism. Um, so he's been huge. My yoga teacher, Mike Matsumara and Charlotte, his wife, um, they have been huge. And they taught me about, you know, Brendan Brazier, John Joseph, Matt Frazier, Michael Arnstein, uh, Megan Elizabeth, Evan Rock, all my new fruitarian buddies. There are so many, and I try to get all of them down on my YouTube channel. Robert Cheek has been huge for me. He's, you know, the most well-known vegan bodybuilder. He runs Vegan Bodybuilding. I've met him personally. He's the nicest dude. Uh, so many, so many people. 
Definitely so many incredible plant-based people out there, including yourself. Now, in the upcoming months, what is one project or one thing that you're really excited about? I mean, from what you described earlier, you have a lot going on in your life and a lot balancing. But what would be one thing we should keep our eyes open for? Ooh, so so many things again. Um, Now that I'm at school, I really want to make this club, CC Plant Strong, um, you know, I really want it to be a force in, uh, in the community. I have a few specific projects this year that I'm looking forward to accomplish. Um, our school, Colorado College, which is a really great, great institution, completely open-minded. They listen to the students. They're amazing. Um, but currently in some of our academic practices, um, they use um, living animals, mainly mice and rodents, in some sociology and science courses, um, which as an animal activist, I believe is unethical. And you can learn all the information you need through tests that have already been done that you can find on online courses um, instead of actually contributing to the animal suffering. That is one project that I have not yet began to organize and even communicate to the college. So I'm not saying that I'm in a fight. It may go smoothly and they may be totally receptive and that will be great. But that's one project um, that I want to implement. I also um, I want to have very consistent cooking demonstrations this year at CC Plant Strong. So you don't know how many emails and people passing by in the day saying, can you cook a meal for me? I want to see how you make your food. It looks so amazing when you bring it to the cafeteria. How do you do this? And I think one of the silliest problems why people are scared to change their diet is that they don't know how to make the food. And that's the easiest part in the world and it's the most fun. So I want to provide you know that service to people and consistently, maybe every few weeks, show them here's a different dish that you can totally make yourself. Um, I'm also going to be having an ebook out very soon, which is really exciting. Um, which is going to be sort of a a like guide to how to jumpstart into your vegan lifestyle. So this is not for the seasoned vegans that know exactly what they're doing. There's obviously going to be information that any um, vegan can learn and there's going to be some bodybuilding and fitness stuff in there as well. Um, but I'm working on that. Just a lot of tips that I've had to struggle with and learn from doing it myself to make your transition much easier. There's going to be cooked options. There's going to be raw food diet options. There's going to be tons of different ways because veganism is such a broad term. If you're doing it, if you're doing it for animal ethics and you want to incorporate, you know, some things I would call a vegan junk food, I'm going to provide that for you. If you're interested in health and nutrition, I'm going to show you the healthiest diet possible. So you can look up for that. Um, I'm going to be on the Rich Roll podcast pretty soon, airing, which so you can hear me talk a bit more. Um, you know, yeah, just check out my website, planttriotic.com, and everything I'm doing, my YouTube videos that I put up every day or every other day, and my ebook, and I have t shirts and tote bags, all plantriotic. Plantriotic is just showing that the most patriotic thing you can do for yourself, community, country, and really the planet is to adopt a plant-based lifestyle for the environment, for the economy, for your own body, for your family, really for the preservation of the animals and the people on our planet is to go plant-based. And that's what I've learned. So, you know, I'm building up this little movement, the plantriotic movement to inspire people that, you know, they don't need to become a scrawny hippie and go vegan. They can continue living their lives however they want while being cruelty-free and really healthy.
Awesome. Thank you, Jackson. To close up our interview, I have a few fun either-or questions. Great. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Mountains or oceans? Oceans. Smoothies or juices? Smoothies. And the last one is, if you had a superpower, would you rather fly or be invisible? Fly. I, I never want to be invisible. I want to be wearing my vegan shirts and vegan tattoos and promote the message that I care about so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jackson. And it was truly a pleasure to have you on the Running on Ohm podcast. Thank you. Much love to you and everyone listening. Namaste. Um, thanks for listening to episode 76 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Jackson Foster, plant-based advocate, yoga teacher, creator of Plantriotic, environmental activist, artist, and student at Colorado College. If you'd like to connect with Jackson and the Running on Ohm community, you can find us on runningonohm.com, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I asked this at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm going to remind you all again, please consider leaving a review of the podcast on iTunes. The more reviews the podcast gets on iTunes, the easier it will be for more like-minded people to find the podcast on the iTunes interface. It'll take you less than two minutes and make a world of difference. I know there have been thousands of listens to the podcast, but only 12 people have left reviews on iTunes. The 30th person to leave a review gets a sweet prize from Running on Ohm, so please leave a review and be considered for the Running on Ohm prize. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.